Hey everybody, it's Madison Schill here, and I'm the founder of Sula Po. Welcome to another episode of the Under the Skin podcast. I hope everyone is coming into this space feeling a little bit optimistic, a little whole, a bit grounded if you are. Um, I know on Sundays it can be always a really difficult time to kind of think about what's coming up next and what the week might look like on a normal life situation basis. So knowing that there's a global pandemic again happening it might be a little bit overwhelming. So just know that you're here. That's awesome. And for the next hour, we're going to be together and chatting and feeling like we're not alone. And that's super important. And I hope that you know that you're so valued here as well. Our next guest is someone that I love so deeply. She's been such a salve for my soul over the past couple of years of knowing her. And she's been a huge part of my love for movement and running and feeling comfortable calling myself even a runner, um, which has been so cool to say. So Erica Schwass is the founder of Fuelproof Health. She also is a wellness and health manager at an incredible local skincare brand here in Canada. And I just love her so much, and you'll know exactly why in a few minutes, but please sit back, enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Under the Skin podcast. And today, I am very excited to come to you again from my uh, quarantine recording studio with Erica Schwass, who is a great friend of mine. She's also a nutritional scientist and the founder of Fuelproof Health, and also someone who has been a huge, huge part of my experience in loving to run again and learning to understand you know, how to look at food in a really positive way through all of this. So Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and I'm so honored to be here. You're just such an inspiring person and I'm so happy to be a part of something that you've created. So thank you for having me. It's very Canadian of us to start a conversation this way. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm coming to you from Toronto. So we're in at least the same city. Yeah, that's nice. I feel so apart, but so connected at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Weird times. Yeah, That's just life right now. Yeah, I mean... So one thing too is your your sport is so much about community and what you love to do is so deeply rooted in community and bodies and being together with other people. And so even to that, can you just explain to everyone sort of what you do on a daily basis and and above all of this that's happening right now, why you do it? Yeah, of course. So I guess like so many of us, I lived what you might call like a double life. I feel like a lot of people have this where I have my actual job, if you will, and then my quote unquote side hustle. So my nine to five, I work for a Toronto-based skincare company and I'm in a role that's kind of a happy little niche that bridges science and wellness for the sake of skin health. Um, And then in my spare time, I founded a company called Fuelproof Health. And I kind of would say that Fuelproof Health is to the movement enthusiast as Sue Poe is to the skincare enthusiast. Mm. Um, in that, I guess Sue, you know, you always talk about beauty as a broader concept. So really looking beyond the bottle and that's kind of the direction that I'm steering fuel-proof towards. So like movement as a bigger part of kind of life and the bigger picture. So our aim is to be a bit of a guiding light for athletes and exercisers to help them navigate the movement space. Um, we provide movement and sort of evidence-based information and tools to help people perform better as athletes, but also to try and foster that community and a safe space that supports sustainable behaviors. So I believe that movement and food should really enhance your life and that healthy, active living should be something that's 
a lifelong practice. And I think more than ever, that's something that I believe in and people need right now. Oh my gosh. So, so deeply. And, and, and your relationship with movement too, has that been something that's been ongoing since you were born? I know your family is a family of runners, but I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, your progression through, through the, through the relationship with sport. Yeah, that's a big one. Yes. Um, so yeah, my relationship with sport has changed so much. It's sport has been such a big part of my life and it really has changed my life, but it's not always been for the better for sure. I'm so privileged to have grown up in a family that so deeply supported my athletic ventures. And I mean like next level, like when I was in high school and couldn't drive yet, my parents would get up at 4 a.m to drop me off at rowing practice like 30 minutes from our house and then drive home before work. And I have two brothers and they did that for all of us. They were rowers too. So you can imagine how happy they were when I finally got my driver's license. Yes. Um, But prior to finding sports like rowing that I just genuinely love, having an active family and having parents who run marathons did put a lot of pressure on me to be fit and Somewhere along the way, I picked up some pretty toxic ideas of what being an athlete or an exerciser is all about. And I definitely thought that exercise was a way of managing weight and burning calories. And to be an athlete, you had to look look a certain way or yeah. uphold a certain aesthetic. And I just never thought that I could be an athlete mm-hmm. because of the way I looked. And it, I mean, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. My thighs chafed, so I couldn't be a runner, you know, so I yeah. didn't run. Yeah. And no. um, eventually I was kind of fed up with that and tried to change it. And I sort of went down the other side of things and just became very unhealthy with food. And I think that's kind of inspired my need to create Feel Proof to be some kind of resource for people that need to know the facts and what to look for when it comes to those kind of poor eating behaviors and the athletic community can be really tough so oh my god to yeah be something to help that out And, and and do you have like a memory where you remember sort of when you were in the pit of that toxic mentality or toxic belief system that you sort of realized in your head that oh my god this isn't this isn't what I should be doing with my body. This isn't how I should be treating it. Like I need to change something or did someone say something to you or did you see something on television or what was like a switch? Was there a moment where it changed for you? I think there was a few moments. Um, I guess now looking back with the information that I have and after studying nutrition at university and understanding orthorexia and orthorexic tendencies um I was down a road that so many athletes do and when you're in it you don't you can't step back and look at it but looking back now I absolutely was obsessed with food and so heavily restrictive and I placed so many food rules on myself and tracked intake and had to have the perfect portion sizes and calculating energy and burning and what I ate and trying to make it all make sense and when my body changed and I was losing weight and trying to achieve that kind of aesthetic uh, that I thought an athlete should have. Yeah. Um, it was probably the worst part of it because I was applauded and praised and validated for that obsessive and toxic behavior. Right. And 
you know, that you look so healthy. Meanwhile, I was absolutely unhealthy was really hard to get out of. Mm -hmm. And I was in it for about a year, like really deep in it for a year. And in that time, that's when I kind of started to see the repercussions and, you know, my school classes started suffering and, you know, my period stopped completely. And most ironically, my athletic performance started to decline. Ah. So I think once I started doing badly in sports, that's when I started to see a bit of a shift because then I started connecting what I was fueling myself with and how I was performing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's when I started to see that connection. And and then I went the complete other opposite direction and was fed up and exhausted. I just wanted to eat. And so I did. And I ate and I ate a lot. And I started to develop that all or nothing mindset with food. And it was really challenging. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest change that happened with my kind of mindset was, you know, sports to the rescue again. But when I was in university and made the varsity rowing team at the University of Guelph, that was probably the best thing for my mental health. Because at that point, I was so ashamed of what my body looked like and how big I'd gotten. And rowing has weight classes, kind of like how, you know, boxing and those kinds of sports have categories of like lightweight and like heavyweight or openweight. Yeah. And... Um, I was a heavyweight, but let me tell you, when I was in a boat with seven other jacked, like powerhouse, badass women embracing that heavyweight status and cheering you on for that strength and that power, like, damn, I needed that. And suddenly, you know, what I thought were like thunder thighs were like thighs of thunder. And all of a sudden those four years being surrounded by such a team that valued strength and power, like that yeah. was all the validation in the world. And like, winning races with my heavy, heavy women companions. Like I'm forever grateful for that. And yeah, that changed everything for me, I think. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so, so cool to see it flip that way too. And like at the right time. And I think building those belief systems where you just love your body at all of its forms has been one of those things that through talking to other people too, has been such a beautiful way to truly learn to unconditionally love and respect and admire your body and yourself um so that is so 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 lovely yeah you have to be able to love every single iteration of the physical form that you might or have taken on and uh it's hard like and the one thing that I've always been really surprised with in talking to you is the parallels that modeling and athletes and all these other sort of professions that have a bit of a physical basis can can have. And I mean, my question to you is, you know, there's sort of two, but what do you feel are the, it's interesting, like, do you feel that men have the same sort of body ideals that women have in sport where it is, you know, be as small and as lean as possible? I'm just curious to know what, you, what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think... Sometimes the body image side of things with men gets overlooked, especially in sport, because it's harder to recognize the symptoms of conditions like relative energy deficiency in sport. There's a lot of research in women, and sometimes some of the deficiencies go unnoticed in men because the symptoms are harder to spot. Yeah. And so I think there's less conversation in the athletic world about the problems with it. But I think men face the same struggles of trying to uphold that masculine appearance and that muscular physique. And especially in sports, similar to women, you know, dance, gymnastics, those sports where it heavily is appearance is, is such a big component of, I think there's, 
so many sports that do the same thing to men and it's probably just as emotionally challenging for them yeah why do you think that aesthetic has any sort of role in sport as well as such a performance-based domain why where, why do you th- where do you think that came from the notion that to do this you have to look this way it started with the idea that leaner physiques are faster there is a notion and it is true in the literature to some extent Mm -hmm. that carrying less mass on you can make you faster but the problem is people take it to an extreme and then it goes the other way where the performance is really impacted and affected and obviously if you are training and you're muscular it you are putting the work in but there's so many people that have an aesthetic that are absolutely not healthy. And I mean, my experience is a true testament to that. People thought I was my healthiest. Meanwhile, that was my absolutely unhealthiest time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just rooted into our culture so deeply that it's it's hard to unwind it and, and undo that mentality. Mm-hmm. No. And, and, you know, so much of the content that you put out there on Fuel Proof is so research and science-based. And why, why is that? Why is that so important to, to being one of those core pillars of what you offer? Yeah, in what I talk about on Fuel Proof and what our team does, um, a lot of it is food and eating behavior. And since everybody eats and everybody eats in different ways and with their own views, um, everyone has an opinion about how to do it right. And I, they should. They really should have an opinion about it. But with so much conversation about diet and nutrition because everyone physiologically has to eat there are a lot of people that try to capitalize and make a profit from food trends and sometimes those trends seemingly are based in nutrition and health science but they're not and that's often not the case so for myself coming from a science and research background I see the amount of liberties that are taken Mm -hmm. by mainstream media when translating scientific literature into a piece of content for the everyday person so I mean, for example, a primary research article might show that, you know, mice given high doses of chemicals like resveratrol um, induce the slowing of cancer growth, say. Yeah. And a research article might take that and when investigating and and kind of putting it out to the public, the headline might then read, research shows drinking red wine helps (laughs) to cure cancer. And I mean... (laughs) <laughs> by all means I don't need another reason to drink more wine not now that yep. sensationalization that kind of glamorization of the research it offers like this kind of just the public just accepts it under these false pretenses and I think with all of this information flying around on so many channels yeah. there's so much bad information out there and often it's really harmful so making sure that all the content coming from field proof is backed by good science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not only what people need to hear, but it's also what I feel like as a scientist, it's my responsibility to do justice to those researchers and translate their work in real terms. Yeah. And I mean, this isn't just the nutrition space. Like you see it in skincare and beauty. And I think that's why I have so much admiration for what you do at Sue and the Sue standard testing methods. Like, you get it right like it's time to just like cut the shit on all of that oh can I say yeah cut the (laughs) cut the shit cut the shit cut the shit (laughs) there's a lot there's so much it's I mean like I think actually you're so right the one industry that probably rivals the amount of confusion and saturation of skincare now because there are you know, umpteenth skincare brands launching. There are so many claims being purported, especially in the world of clean or clean compatible or green beauty 
or whatever or sustainable like you know um and no one's checking it because we're all just exhausted and so it's so Mm -hmm. great to have someone check it and the food industry probably for sure is even more saturated of course and more confusing than the skincare beauty world and so yeah of course you're of course that makes sense that's so important and i deeply hope that more people are you know coming to people like you for actual information because it can get so so easy to get sucked into things and you know I think about growing up too and how how much of my eating habits were fueled around okay but should I be eating more fats or less fats or no fat or is it sugar that's bad or is it carbs that are bad and like my relationship with my body wasn't performance-based it was purely aesthetic because you know I was told to stop I danced competitively until I was 18 and I was told to stop dancing because of the muscle mass that I gained to then start modeling and you know when you're modeling it's like eat as little as possible and exercise as much as you can but only walk because then you won't gain any muscle that just pains me so much and and you know like you become a specimen but you come very stoic and so you don't really notice that your body is deteriorating until it's truly falling apart in front of your eyes because Mm -hmm. there is no physical test you just you know if you can't stand and and be present on a set which I got to a point where I couldn't um then people start saying something but until then it's really you know as thin as you can get is used to be the best you know um and so yeah my tangent continues but it's so interesting (laughs) it's so interesting because I think the one thing that I could have learned from earlier and the one thing that you're also you know grasping onto and just you know sharing with people like me now is information and understanding science directly from the science itself and not from you know, like the third person or playing a game of telephone with all of these data points mm-hmm. that actually can be so helpful. Yeah, and yeah, like you say, there's so many parallels to sport and, and the modeling industry and just how yeah kind of dangerous it can be in both. And yeah, that's why I have so much appreciation for the work that you've done to support models. And I, I love that you've created a community that is trying to work on you know model rights and all of those different organizations that you've been a part of and i would love for fuelproof to kind of offer that to athletes and be this support network yeah i thank you and like as you were saying all those kind things i felt a lot of imposter syndrome pop into my head um is that something that you also feel in your community uh just you know trying to feel like you know enough or can do enough or can be enough entering into these spaces because I feel this way truly every day and I'd like to feel less alone. <laughs> oh my gosh, all the time. This is a conversation I have with my colleagues all the time. Yeah. So um, one of my good friends who was my lab mate in our master's degree, we talk about this and talk about like, are we, why do we feel so out of place when we try to give if people ask us sort of nutritional advice we almost don't want to give it because we're like who are we to say there's so much mixed information out there and then you take a step back and look at the amount of people out there that are offering their nutrition advice with absolutely no scientific background or they don't fully understand the physiology or what's going on at a cellular level and yeah then we're like you know what no we have to be able to if you know if it's not us who is making these recommendations or where is this coming from so yeah every day I have to convince myself that I have 
space in this industry to be talking. But yeah, imposter syndrome every single day, for sure. If you didn't even have to consider, you know, that fear or hold space for it, what would you, what is your next step for Fuelproof? And, and what do you really want to, to expand within it, within the programming? That's a great question. Right now, uh, I'm looking for people to submit their research because I think there's a lot of people in the science industry that are from a pure clinical, um, or sorry, a pure research background yeah. and don't yet know how to communicate some of their, you know, very in-depth and they've been working so hard on their research and they don't know how to talk to the average person about it. And I would love to offer Fuelproof as a platform where together we can help to communicate these really interesting groundbreaking pieces of research Mm -hmm. and get them across to the consumer directly. And so there isn't that kind of middle person, but they, they feel that they're a part of it and a place to showcase that research. So I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues during this time who their master's and PhD research is on hold because they can't get into the labs. They're oh. looking for something to do. Yeah. So being able to have this platform for them, I, I think that'd be very cool because I have a lot of people that specialize in athlete physiology and are doing such cool research that I want people to hear it. Oh, that's so cool. Is there anything that you're super excited about that you kind of have percolating in the background that you've been talking to people about that you can share as a as a little appetizer? That sounds really cool, <laughs> truly. Uh, there's a colleague that I have out of Oxford University who specialized in judo, and he wrote a really great piece about transitioning out of athletics from a really high performance elite standpoint and how to kind of just go into your average everyday movement enthusiast where you're not, I don't know, athletics becomes part of your identity. And so how you can kind of mentally transition out of that. I'm really excited to do more work with him because he's so smart and just has such great insights into it. And I think it's really helpful for people to know how they can maintain an everyday movement regimen yes you know it's part of who they are so it is a really hard transition for sure I remember um, I'd done some work with K-Swiss last year and we had done a little bit of a campaign for social media with a former uh, Olympian, uh, Paralympian, who had won gold for Canada playing sledge hockey and he was really really interesting because he had uh, been partially had an incomplete had an incomplete paralysis due to a dirt bike accident, like a motocross accident that he'd had uh, about, I think, 15 years ago or so. And unfortunately, obviously, he couldn't walk. uh, And it took him, I think, about four years to be able to kind of go back to quote unquote like new normal again Uh, but during that time he had trained um, for the olympics and started playing sledge hockey and had found that as a huge source of of joy and um, his dad also was paralyzed uh, due to i think a hunting accident and had unfortunately years later committed suicide and took his own life um, as well so there's just been a lot of yeah, and I think uh, just speaking with this man, his name's Kevin Rumpel, and he's written a book, and he's incredible. He's super inspirational. He had played sledge hockey. He was in Sochi. He had won this medal, and you know, after that, when you come out of that and you put your whole like belief system and your whole life into this sport, and it's done, he went through a really hard 
de- period of depression. Mm-hmm. And hearing about that, you know, I have moments of my life that I look back on and can sort of echo in some small way. And then I think of all of the Olympic athletes this year who aren't going to be able to compete in the summer. And it's like sort of like a baby version of what you just mentioned. And I and I wonder, have you talked to any athletes that are in the same mental space and is there anything that they're using that they're doing to cope to continue to love their sport but to also be safe and understand that like try to make sense of COVID-19 and what it's doing to us in 2020? Yeah there I had some of the athletes that were sort of scheduled to hit Tokyo this summer and now that it's been pushed to 2021 it's really hard because I know people were training and had periodization that was like ramping up and now it's kind of thrown yeah so I think the general mentality is it's just so surreal whoever thought that this was going to happen but they also have a really great understanding of you know this is unforeseen and this is what we have to do right now yeah. for our community and our world. So I think there is a bit of understanding and it's happening to everyone. Yes. But I think the way that people are getting kind of around it, and I see it in a smaller capacity in the field proof community because a lot of races and sporting events have been canceled. And I mean, that's me as well. I can speak from a personal perspective. I was gearing up for the Mississauga half marathon, which has been postponed to fall. And yeah, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's mentally challenging. And I think for a lot of my fellow racers, you sign up for competitions because it helps motivate you to get out the door. Like yeah. knowing that you have a date lined up helps keep you accountable. Yes. And for me, when my race got canceled, I went from training 60 plus, plus kilometers a week, you know, strategic periodized workouts to having no pressure on. And yeah. so it was definitely mixed emotions, right? It's disheartening that you put in all this work. But I also realized I could kind of breathe again. And, it, you know, my fiance and I started running together again because our schedules were more aligned um, now that we have more time at home. And just at a cruising pace and enjoying it. And I just remember in the first few weeks of the isolation, I kind of fell back in love with the sport in the first place, like running. Now that the Mississauga Marathon has been rescheduled to fall, I like you best believe I'm going to start that 16 week training plan again and just like go all in. But I think with almost like a renewed love for the sport, that's just kept me sane these past few weeks. So I hope a lot of athletes in the community are also just using this time to do their sport and not make it about the competition and just do it because they love it. And I think there's a joy in that connection. Yeah. I mean, I also wonder too, if the if the entire community might change or shift after COVID because of we've taken a moment to pause and really recalibrate why we love what we do and why we love to move in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The field proof community is so diverse. I've seen, you know, athletes and movement enthusiasts of all kinds and no lifestyle is the same. I mean, I've seen parents who are now taking care of kids at home and yeah. just getting food prepared and like squeezing in a workout. That's, a marathon in itself oh my god yeah like you're a teacher you're a teacher you're a psychologist you're a chauffeur you're a like you you're a dietitian like these parents are doing everything and it's under I I have to applaud the creativity I'm seeing with like how to keep your kids entertained and happy and healthy like you know my hat goes off to you that is amazing um and yeah like you're saying the athletes that have had their olympics rescheduled um, that's a whole other world and 
I guess the silver lining in all of it and what I've been enjoying watching in general is just the shift in people's attitudes towards food and movement mm-hmm. like seeing how many people are using exercise as a way to relieve stress yes and enjoy some time outside and connect with each other through you know these digital workouts I'm seeing and I kind of hope that we continue to see those themes stick yes. after we t- return to like a more normal routine um and the same goes for cooking you know people are discovering new recipes and eating with family and getting really creative with their pantry staples and I hope people kind of remember those joys of cooking and taking pride in something that they've made with their own hands. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I hope that sticks. Like I hope this is making people revisit those enjoyment <laughs> things. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, and as you're talking about this too, I think of the person, you know, living alone in their apartment for the seventh week in a row who may already have a few past experiences where they've been emotionally eating or they have a really hard relationship with food or they have a really hard time moving and community was a huge source of you know the inspiration to go out and move and now that things are changing and becoming so much more autonomous in a sense for people that are living at home alone in their apartments how would you sort of guide them to look at you know, eating in a way that truly can be positive and joyful for them uh, while they might not have someone to share the experience with? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, especially around food, that's really challenging. Yeah. Um, It's hard, I think, because people have access to food in different different capacities right now. And Mm -hmm. I think everyone's relationship with food is so different and I mean I don't want to generalize with like food or activity but for for me anyways having like a past and kind of disordered eating behaviors I think some of those things are starting to creep in at this time and I mean I'll share what I've been kind of telling myself with that'll be great being around food so much um I've just kind of given myself permission to eat the food that I find just deeply satisfying and that makes you feel amazing. And for me, that means like bright, colorful, whole food. And other times it means, you know, a strong cocktail and a bowl of pasta, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying not to place like food rules or activity rules around myself or feel kind of any guilt around it. I think more important, it's more important than ever to not have those structures mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. And I think that pressure to be productive is something that everyone's feeling right now. And so I've just kind of been playing this mantra over and over again in my head that you're not in any obligation, under any obligation to come out of this like skinnier, faster, or fitter. Cause I think there is that kind of pressure to be reinvented when we come out of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, yeah, that's just what I've been telling myself. And it's hard when you're alone because those thoughts just get in your head for sure. Mm-hmm. And and what are you telling yourself or putting, depositing at the end of this tunnel as some sort of mantra or goal or belief? Because I so agree with you. I'm not looking to come out of this changed physically in any way, but I definitely have expectations for myself that I do feel like my life will have changed because of this experience. And I plan on listening to that gut feeling but what are you what are you sort of reminding yourself most constantly or hoping to come away with when you look back in five years and look at what COVID you know 
shifted in you? What do you want that to be? I guess just taking the little joys. Like I've been just going out for walks so much more yeah. and I've been chatting with friends more over video calls and those little things have really been a place of joy in my day yeah. and I don't want to lose that. It's such easy ways of feeling happy in my days yeah even something just as simple as like remembering to go for a walk with my partner like that's such a nice thing that I don't want to lose when this is over and also just our ability to sort of pivot seeing it within my kind of nine to five our ability to just change things because we have to like that flexibility I guess it just shows you that things are just possible you just need to have to push it and yeah. so I think, I don't know, it's tricky. There's so much that's changing. I I haven't thought too much of like what I want to get out of this, but I think slowly I'm just seeing that you're so much more capable of like being happy with the bare bones kind of minimum and you're so able to create something from nothing now. Yeah. I don't know. No, I've been noticing that. We've had... Um, you know, more and more conversations with people in my family and that sort of thing. And it's just, I think our worlds have sort of, you know, become a little bit smaller, but they've become a lot more dense. And like, if it was a food, it would say nutrient rich. You know, I think (laughs) before we were so, everything was just so inflated and expanded and bloated. And we were kind of just floating around in all of that noise. And I feel now, and yes, I, I will also say, you know, everyone is struggling. Everyone is afraid. Everyone's bills are still a thing and we're still nervous and worried about it it's it's we have a privilege to be okay right now but I know everyone I'm talking to we can share this like it's a lot and it can be very stressful however knowing that we're all in this together which is such a unique experience has allowed us to kind of pull back collectively and know that you know the simple things in addition to being the only option we have to go off of right now can actually provide a lot of happiness because we're just grateful to have what we do have um yeah that's so true but like for movement I've been finding and I've been talking to you about this and following you also show this too but it's a way for me to talk to my dad more it's a way for me to notice things about the home, my hometown that I grew up in that I've never seen before in my life. I've never looked up until my 26th year of age in my hometown on the same route that I used to run on all the time because, you know, I used to be running and thinking about some guy in my high school class or on my phone and, and or, you know, in my own head about dumb things that don't matter. And now I, all I have to think about is just putting one foot in front of the other and it simplified mm-hmm. my movement process, which has been really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I'm glad that people are discovering those things too. Because I think I've seen that a lot in the field group community, people rediscovering movement for all the right reasons. And I think that's really nice. That's really cool. Do you feel like, you know, I mean, my last question too is because we really got to know each other through uh, a run club that we did for the past two years together. And that was so mm-hmm. fun. And it like you leading us all through that made me feel like I was a runner for the first time, which I had a really hard time owning. Aww. Yeah, it was. it's really, really special, and it feels really cool to say. 
And now do you think after all of this, those kinds of things, those run clubs, those community runs, like how is that going to look? What are you, what are your thoughts about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so missing run club right now. And like my fellow movement enthusiasts, yeah. I feel like once you sweat with a person on like the hottest days in Toronto summers, you just share a special kind of bond. So yeah. some people call it masochism, but apparently we call it fun. So, um, I guess, yeah, I'm really missing that right now and I will never take it for granted again. And I'm definitely looking forward to that first real community run club again. But for now, I'm really just enjoying seeing the community kind of come out of the woodwork. I think with people having more time on their hands, I've gotten more people reaching out, cooking my recipes and sharing their workouts. And I love that. It's my favorite thing to see that I've affected someone's day even just in a really small capacity so I have felt that the community is still there even though we're not physically together so I'm just thankful for having warm weather and being able to hold that together just a little bit I mean warm-ish weather it's truly a disgusting day out today but it was beautiful (laughs) yesterday you're being very positive yeah (laughs) yeah I honestly I I have to be positive because this winter was really challenging I did a lot of treadmill runs I did a lot of solo running yeah so I think I kind of forgot those things and so I think I'm just happy that there isn't snow on the ground yeah honestly honestly Canada we're we're getting there slowly but we're getting to spring I know it it's coming yes I can feel it And okay, so my final question for you is, as we all leave, I have been your personal um, testing chef for the bean brownies that you sent me (laughs) a couple of weeks ago that I forced you to send to me. Um, However, I would love for you to recommend everyone uh, one one sort of item that they could make from your website that, you know, you're going to be making or that you really find brings a lot of comfort or joy. Um, because those brownies were so easy to make and they were so good and I felt really special and fancy. So is there anything that you would say, you know, this is a great time to make on this Sunday afternoon? Oh, food to cook. Oh, that's so hard because everything, everyone has their different, like, comfort foods from different, you know, pieces of their life. I really, I have that brownie recipe. I tested it four times last weekend and I have come to a final recipe so I hope to have that soon but oh good if you go to feelproofhealth.com you can find a few recipes there if you're looking for something savory and you have an instant pot the black bean sweet potato curry is so just hearty and warming but if you're a sweet kind of treat person the high octane chocolate peanut butter cookies are just decadent and lovely that sounds (laughs) fantastic oh there's lots on there okay I'm ready to go okay amazing (laughs) Erica thank you so much for being on the podcast there are so many things that we could talk about and this is just the beginning of an endless amount of future episodes I already know this so thank you so much I'll see you on our virtual Skype run at some point soon and I really appreciate you being here thank you so much Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. And yes, we will do that run soon, hopefully. Yeah, lots of like heavy breathing in the microphone. But it'll be good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, sounds good. Bye.